We are on Yavamos Pei Gimel Amad Bey's 83b, and we are on the last page before the end of this chapter. And the Gemara continues analyzing the Mishnah. The Mishnah was discussing different cases of a tumtum or of an androgynous. Um, a tumtum is somebody who, who's a male or female. Uh, sex organs are covered, so we don't know whether they are male or female, and androgynous is somebody who has both. So Rebbe the Mishnah says that if you are a tumtum, if you are somebody who is a tumtum, so then we assume that you are not able to have children. Rebbe is of the opinion that they can never, even if it becomes revealed that uh, it's a male, we assume that he's a sris, somebody who's not able to have children. So the Gemara is going to question this. Amr Rabbi Ami says, my What are you going to do with a certain tumtum, a person from the place of Biri, and he had seven children? So we see that he's able to have children. So Rabbi Yehuda says back, Rabbi Yehuda says back, Rabbi Yehuda says, he questions all of this. He says it's not true. You have to look into who really was the father. He questions whether this tumtum was actually the father. Continues the Gemara, and the Gemara now quotes Rabbi Yossi, his son. Tanya Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, Omer Tomtem lo yachlotz shema yik rebenimtza sris chama. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda says that not that the Tomtem automatically we know that it will be a sris, it will be somebody who can't have children, and that's why they don't do chalitza. He says that no, maybe they don't do chalitza, Meaning somebody else should do chalitza, as we'll see, because maybe he will turn out to be a sris. Maybe he won't be a sris. Somebody who's able to have children. Maybe he will be able to have children. Meaning Rabbi Huda, the first opinion, his father, is of the opinion that if he's a tumtum, if he's somebody where uh, it was uh, the area was covered uh, by skin, so then even though we find out afterwards that it's a male, they don't do chalitza. Why don't they do chalitza? Because we know with certainty that he's not able to have children. Somebody who's not able to have children doesn't have to do yibam or chalitza. His son says no. He says there's a good chance that he cannot have children, but it's possible that he will have children. But because it's a small possibility, we say, you know what, don't do chalitza. Have one of the other brothers do chalitza. He shouldn't do chalitza because maybe he's somebody who cannot have children. Uh, But he, he differs from his father in that his father thinks it's, uh, we know with certainty that he can't have children. The son says, no, there's just a good chance that he can't have children. The Gemara then says, Atu kol de mikra have. They say, why are you even assuming that the, it, once we find out uh, the gender, that it's male? Maybe it's female. So the Gemara says, you know what, fine. Hachi kamar. Shem The Gemara essentially says, you're right. The reason why you don't do chalitza, again, this is a case where uh, he's the live brother, is because first of all, he might not be a brother. He might be, he might be a, a sister. We don't know the gender because it's covered, so we don't know the gender. And even if you want to tell me that it's a brother, but the brother doesn't do chalitza because there's a good chance that uh, he cannot have children. That's the position of Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yehuda. The Gemara now asks, "My Ben what is the difference in, in a practical way? What is the difference between the father of Yehuda and the son of Yosef? The father says that we know with certainty that he cannot have children." Therefore, he doesn't do chalitza. Rabbi says, he also doesn't do chalitza. They both agree that you don't do chalitza. It's just that Rabbi says 
that we don't know with certainty that you don't do chalitza. There's just because there's a good chance that he cannot have children. But what practically, is there any difference between Rabbi Huda's opinion, the father's opinion, and Rabbi Yossi, the son's opinion? So Amar Rava, two differences. There is a difference. According to the son, you shouldn't do chalitza. But if you end up doing chalitza, we have to be concerned that maybe that was a good chalitza because there's a, good, there's a chance that uh, he he is obligated in chalitza and he is connected to chalitza because maybe he is able to have children. And as such, if he did chalitza, we wouldn't tell him to do chalitza if there are other brothers around, but if he did chalitza, then none of the other brothers are allowed to do yibam because we're concerned maybe that was a good chalitza. If that was a good chalitza, so then none of the other brothers can now do chalitza. That's one, as opposed to Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says that, no, the, the guy is not connected to Chalitza at all. He cannot have, we know he can't have children. Even if he does Chalitza, it's not recognized as a halacha Chalitza in any, uh, any way. And so therefore the brothers now have the uh, opportunity to do Yibam. Maybe they could go ahead and do Yibam. That is one ramification. The second one is, let's say there are no brothers. All you have is this one person who is a tumtum. We don't know if it's a male or female. Uh, should he do chalitza or should he not do chalitza? According to Yehuda, there's no need to do chalitza, even if he's the only brother. No need; it's a waste of time. There's no need to do chalitza because he's he's not connected to it. He cannot have children. According to his son Rabbi no. Now we tell them not to do chalitza if there's other brothers around. Let the other brothers do chalitza because maybe he can't have children, but maybe he could also have children if there are no other brothers around. We'll tell him you should go ahead and do chalitza. Because there's a chance that you could have children. That's the big dispute between Rabbi Yehuda and his son, Rabbi Yossi. Okay. The Gemara now returns to a discussion that we had earlier. And the Gemara says as follows. This is going back to androgynous. So that was the end of that topic of a tumtum. Now we go back to an androgynous. Androgynous is somebody who has both male and female sex organs. And so the Gemara says as follows: Amr Rabbi Shmuel bar Yehuda, Amr Rabbi Abba, Achvad Rabbi Yehuda bar Zivdi, Amr Rabbi Yehuda, Amr Rav. Rav says as follows: Androgynous chayav and alavskila mishtei mekomos. According to Rav, we've had this discussion earlier in previous recordings. According to Rav, somebody who's an androgynous, we view as a male. We view they're defined. They view them as a male if they have sexual relations with another male. So then that gets the punishment with. Any other case where a male has sexual relations with another male. And not only that, but Rav says that it also applies even if, even if as the androgynous, he has sexual relations in the place where, in the vaginal area, where it's the female sex organ. But still, since he's viewed as a male, he would also get punished if they have sexual relations in that area as well, in both places. And uh, if it's the normal way, for uh, men to have sexual relations, but also if it's in the vaginal area as well, because he's viewed as a male. The Gemara asks, this isn't true, Mesave Rebelezer says, argues in Rav, on this opinion that we just quoted, Rebelezer says, Androgynous chayavan alav skila kezachar b'medramur and b'zachar shalom b'negev shalom pater. Rebelezer argues, and Rebelezer was from the time period of the Mishnah, Rav is from the time period of the Gemara, that's why we have a question here. How could Rav argue from a rabbi from the time period of the Mishnah? Rabbi Lezer says it's not true. Rabbi Lezer says we view him as a male. And as such, if they were to have sexual relations in the vaginal area where, where that sex organ for, for women, so that would not be viewed as a male and male having sexual relations. 
they would not get the punishment um, associated with that. So Rebelezer argues. So where is Rav coming from? So apparently, this is a dispute. This is a dispute even amongst time, rabbis from the time periods of the Mishnah. Rav is going like Rabbi Simai. There's a dispute here between Rabbi Simai and Rabbi Lezer. Two different opinions. One opinion says that uh, that we would uh, punish them if they have sexual relations by the vaginal area. The other opinion, Rabbi Lezer says we don't. What's the dispute based on? So the Gemara quotes different based on different words within the Pasuk, within the verse, and how they read those words and how they expound upon those words. My time at Rabbi Simai. What's the reason for Rabbi Simai? Amar Rav Bar Hamduri, Ezber Ali ve'Azachar Lo Tishkav Mishkav Isha Ezer Zachar Sheish Bo Shtei Mishkavos Have Omer Zan Droganis. It says, you're not allowed to. The verse says um, um, two men can't have sexual relations, but it says Mishkav Isha the way women lie with each other, and it says it in the plural, meaning in two places. Meaning we're referring to the androgynous, turning the person, the one person who's able to have sexual relations in two different places. Uh, so that androgynous, through two different ways, uh, based on the male and female sex organs, that person, that's what the verse is referring to, saying that in both places, uh, there would be a violation. Virabanan, the other opinion says, no, it's true. We're talking about that type of a person who's an androgynous, who has both, but it says, the verse says, specifically only if it's with the male sex organ. Now with the female one. And so therefore it is limited. So the Rabbanan, once they use the word as Zachar, it's not referring to the actual male, but it's referring to the place, to the, to the male sex organ, which is for an androgynous. So what are they, how do they know that two men can't have sexual relations with each other? So that's based on the, a different word in the Pasuk because it says Isha, Mishkeve Isha. It says Isha, and so we extrapolate from there and expand upon there that it's also a, a regular, just uh, not an androgynous, but a man who has sexual relations with another man. And then also they want to know, how do we know about an Isha, Shalokadarka, for a woman if it's um, anal sex? So then how do we know that? So that's also from another from another word or, or extended letter. Okay. Uh, so in the end of the day, we have this dispute between uh, Rabbi Lezer on the one hand and Rabbi Simai slash Rav on the other hand. Uh, even though we everybody agrees that we view this androgynous as a male, what happens if this androgynous has sexual relations through the vaginal area that he has? So is that also viewed as the male having sexual relations? Um, so that is a dispute. Now comes the Gemara and says as follows. For the, basically for the rest of the Gemara until the end of this chapter. Hopefully we'll be able to finish it in this recording. Um, the discussion is, even though we say that an androgynous is like a male, according to those opinions that we saw in our Mishnah, but when it comes to certain areas of law, specifically a korban bringing a sacrifice, we say that uh, it would not suffice. Even though you have to bring a male animal... It would not suffice. And some of the commentators point out that the reason why is because when animals are brought as carbonos, forget about um, this particular issue, but in general, we, there's a concept called a mum, a blemish, that if there's different types of blemishes that exist on the, on the part, on, on, on the animal's body, 
so then that would disqualify them from being used as a sacrifice. And so too over here, even though we view this animal as a male, it would still fall under having a mum, having a blemish, and it cannot be used as a korban, as a sacrifice. And says, so says the Gemara as follows, Amr of Shizbi, Amr of Chista. Rav Chista says, Lo l'kol Amr of Lazar and Jorgnes Zachar ma'al Yehushim ato Amr kem b'mukdashin yikadesh yuminal and dulo kidesh. He says that from when it comes to an Androgynous, even though we view this Androgynous as a male, it is viewed as a male, somebody who has both male and female sex organs, we view them as a male according to Rebbe However, it's not true when it comes to sanctifying them with the holiness so that they're used in the base of Megdash, in the temple service. Um, we don't recognize them as a male. And they, they aren't sanctified. They don't get that sanctity. Tanarabanan, because we are taught in a Brisa. We're discussing a chicken which can be used as a sacrifice. And there's certain disqualifications. There's certain disqualifications um, that don't allow them to be used as a sacrifice. And that includes um, uh, if they engage in sexual relations with a, with a person if they are designated to be used for idol worship, if they are in fact used for idol worship, um, other cases as well, um, if they're sold um, by a zona, by a prostitute, for, or to acting as payments for the prostitute, um, if they are uh, other other cases sold for a dog, um, it's, it disqualifies them. But included in the, these disqualifications are cases of a tumtum and an androgynous. If you have an animal who is both either one, either a tumtum or an androgynous, we say that they're not viewed as a sacrifice. And so therefore, um, various laws then apply. Let's say if you attempted to do the normal process, when it, which applies with, a, with regards to a regular sacrifice, it's not recognized. And so therefore, various ramifications. It, it, it could become tame, it becomes impure because it's just a regular dead animal. Uh, with the specific, with specifics with regards to a chicken, uh, different types of impurity, uh, but that's the that's the point. The point is that it's not recognized as um, as being available for uh, for the service in the base of Megdash. Reb Lazar Omer, Reb Lazar now says, "Tomtem v'adrogin asayim matam v'gadim avayz habliya." Share Reb Lazar Omer, "Kom akum shenemar zachem v'nekev atam motzi tomtem v'adrogin asmi b'neim v'of." Rabbi Lezer argues and he says, but he argues only with regards to the chicken. By the chicken, it doesn't say specifically male or female. So you could use it a tumtum and you could use an androgynous because it doesn't say specifically zacha or nekeva. It doesn't say specifically a male animal or a female animal. However, when it comes to all the other animals where it does say specifically male or female, so then they are disqualified. In those cases, they are in fact uh, disqualified. Not for a chicken, but for other animals, they would be disqualified. And so too, we have a similar line as well. Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak says, I also have proof from Mishnah that Rabbi Lezer holds like this. Rabbi Lezer, Omer, Rabbi Lezer says, Hakilayim v'shreifa v'yosei dofen tomtom v'adroganis lo kedoshin v'lo mekadshin v'amr shmuel lo kedoshin b'tmura v'lo mekadshin b'osa tmura shma mina. We have certain disqualifications for an animal where not only can you not designate it with holiness, but other other issues as well. Meaning, not only could you not is it not uh, designated with the holiness to be brought as a korban as a sacrifice, but there's also a concept called the tzmura, where if one animal already has holiness, it's already designated as uh, to be used in the base of in the temple, 
If you now then try to transfer that onto another animal, uh, that holiness onto another animal, so then it's not allowed. It's not allowed from by the Torah. It doesn't allow you to do that, but it does work. It, it, in the end of the day, you've now transferred the holiness onto the other animal. But there are a few exceptions to this rule. If there's such a disqualification that it's a, it's a high level of disqualification, so then it, that itself also won't be transferred. What's included in that? So what's included in that is that if you have different cases of disqualifications, whether it's uh, uh, the 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 Mishnah goes through all these different cases of kilayim, if it's made through kilayim, uh, a mixture of different animals, if it's a trefa, it's already there's something wrong with the animal health wise with the animal, if it wasn't born in the regular way, um, or if it's a tumtum and an androgynous. The case of androgynous again, so then that would also disqualify them. So we see again, even though the androgynous is viewed as a male, but when it comes to the sacrifices in the base of Megdosh, in the temple, we say that it is a disqualified. And as we pointed out before, perhaps the reason is because it's viewed as a blemish. It's viewed as a blemish, just like many, there are many blemishes, which if there is a blemish to the animal, it would disqualify that animal from being used in the base of Megdosh. Finally, the last few lines, before we finish the chapter, it returns back to this statement of Rebbe Lezer. Rebbe Lezer says that uh, we view him, this androgynous, as a male. And so therefore, if he has sexual relations with another male, uh, he has violated a prohibition in the Torah. So Tanya, very interesting, uh, Brisa, the Brisa says, the story says as follows, Alma Rebbe, Rebbe said, Rebbe when he went to study Torah by Rabbi Lazar ben Shmua, the his students surrounded me, and they told me like Katana Golam shall base book They surrounded me like uh, roosters, where they they wouldn't allow uh, new people in. I went to I was a new person. I went to go in to study Torah with them. They wouldn't let me in. They didn't let me teach anything. The only thing they would let me learn is this one line of Rebbe Lazar. It's very strange. This one line of Rebbe Lazar where Rebbe Lazar says, an androgynous is viewed as a male. That's the only thing they let me learn. It's a very strange story. That's the end of the story, the end of the chapter. What exactly is going on here? So I heard a, I saw a beautiful explanation which explains as follows. Rebbe was going to teach somebody else's students. So we had one rabbi going into the study halls of a different rabbi and going to teach his students. So there's a concern this is a valid concern that when one rabbi goes in, so then he might teach something differently uh, than the rabbi that they're used to and will make a certain impression upon these students and to a certain degree cause them to lose respect for their, for their own rabbi. And there was a concern about that. And we know that in the Torah, it says that you have to respect God, but included in that, there's, because of the, the word S, there's the word S in the Torah is coming to teach us that it's not just referring to Hashem, but also Torah scholars. The extra word S teaches us also Torah scholars. You have to respect also Torah scholars. So they basically told him, they told Rebbe, he was about to teach them, and said, they reminded you of this law of Rebbe Lazar. Because if you recall, this law of Rebbe Lazar, it's based off also this word S, that there was an extra word S, which doesn't really have a, a, a meaning, a way to translating that from, from Hebrew. Uh, it's just mentioned before a noun, uh, so, so we expound upon that to teach us the halacha of Rabbi Lazar. And the point, the reason why they're mentioning this is 
basically they're telling Rebbe, remember that word S, remember that word S, which Rebbe Lazar extrapolates a certain law from, that same word is also used in a different context to teach you that you have to have respect to your Torah scholars. And so if you're coming to teach us, make sure that, that we're taught properly that, uh, and in a way where we then uh, do not, are not embarrassed by our own Torah uh, scholar and our, our own teacher. And they're basically teaching him and telling him, we still want to make sure if you're coming in, you have to give proper respect to the rabbi who is in charge of this study hall, of this base medrash. So that concludes, interesting story, that concludes this chapter, and we will begin the ninth chapter. Ninth chapter goes a little bit back to the Yibam topics. Uh, it's a short chapter, which will take us uh, a few weeks, and then we into, enter into the tenth chapter, which is fascinating discussions um, about uh, about proving somebody's death. Well, how could you prove somebody died if they went missing? Uh, very relevant, unfortunately, discussions to different scenarios that come up in war and in other circumstances. So uh, we will begin the ninth parak, the ninth chapter, in the next recording.